0: Hello and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson and I am the Associate Editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined as always by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, how's your week been treating you? I know it's, we're getting into to real baseball, real heart of the season type stuff. The ball is weird. The games are weird. Everything is, it, it's baseball. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I love it. Um,
0: so I have three boys, and I'm
1: coaching them in little league. So I've got like eight year olds and eleven year olds, and they're at different levels. And the games are very exciting, but then also fun and crazy. And so it's I've got it coming from all directions, you know, the little guys looking at them, and then watching the guys in the
0: major league and the big guys. You know, it's, it's just all happening. It's great. Yeah, that's that's fun. I'm I don't have that anymore. All I have is watching. <laughs> ASU baseball choke away any any chances it had in a decent season but it's fine I'm sure the major league team I watch is doing much better uh. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah okay uh, we have we have a decent episode for you guys this week nothing uh, we're hoping to not push it as long as we have in the past but we've got some interesting topics to hit on this week we there was another another Jim Bowden article and you know how much we love those uh, so we'll be getting to that a little bit later in the episode. Uh, but first, we do have a bit of news, You know, the transactions are going to slow down, and they already have, uh, but as we get into the season here, and, and there's going to be a bit of a dead period before they really pick up closer to the deadline, but we have a handful of, you know, late moves and 40-man and sifting around and stuff like that, um, starting with, with the most significant move of the Rockies extending Kyle Freeland, so Freeland was on the last year of arbitration, so he was going to be a free agent after the year, he's a Denver native, and in a sense, he might have figured out how to pitch at Coors. You know, he he hasn't been quite as strong in the last couple of years as he was. And I think it was was it 2018 that he had that really strong uh, season for them. Uh, yeah, 2018 was really impressive for him. And since then, he's kind of he's been pretty up and down. But he's been a serviceable arm for them. Um, and and you know, being the Rockies, they have trouble attracting free agents, especially pitching pitchers. So if you really feel comfortable that this guy's a back end arm that can succeed at Coors, maybe it makes sense to to give him a commitment. Uh the the slight issue is that this this commitment's quite lofty for a player who has kind of shown what Freeland has shown. Uh so it's a 5-year deal worth 64.5 million dollars and then a vesting option for 2027. If Freeland throws 170 innings in 2026, he will earn 17 million in that 6th season, 2027. Uh, so that's not cheap. <laughs> um he his original trade value um but before this extension we had his value at 3.4 and after the extension he's down at 36.7 so that should tell you something (laughs) yeah Uh, actually uh excuse me i misspoke earlier he actually has two years of arbitration remaining and this will buy out two of those which makes the makes the high dollar value maybe even a little bit more suspect.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was trying to, the reason he only had like three ish in surplus is because his arbitration numbers were getting high. And so based on his performance relative to salary, he's looking like a non tender at the end of the year. Like he was probably not worth what he would have made in his next year of arbitration. Got a little bit of search. So that surplus just from just was focused on this year. And there was a, you know, a little bit of that he's, okay you know if you look at his numbers he's okay but he's not i'm sorry colorado does it again he's not worth that much you know he had you it was worth 1.5 ward last year he's basically you know a four ish you know mid fours era mid fours fip you know just just kind of slightly above average pitcher is what he is um uh, but to your point the rockies Always struggle with finding pitchers who will want to stay in Colorado because of the altitude and the fact that it's a hitting machine, hitting paradise. So, if they can find a guy who at least sort of likes it there, they're like, okay, please stay. (laughs) And I think that's all this was. I just don't see why they needed to overpay for him because I think most reasonable teams would say that's too much for Kyle Freeland.
0: It just feels like we're headed, we're in, we're stuck in a in a time loop here (laughs) with the Rockies where they. Overcommit money to players like like it's not it's not offensive on a one by one basis that the type of money they're giving guys like him or i mean maybe the chris bryant money is offensive but stuff like that when you just look at it in a vacuum on its own it's maybe not the worst thing in the world but when you put it all together and you look at these lengthy commitments they have for all of these guys and then you look ahead to what it might be three years down the road if these guys fall off a bit and aren't worth anywhere near the money that they're getting paid and and then you how do you where do you go from there it's not like they have a top 10 farm in the game it's they're gonna they're gonna look like that same team when they had ian desmond's contract dragging them down and all the and wade davis and greg holland and all the relievers that were making all the money and not pitching well like it seems like we're headed back for that i don't get it
1: i don't get it why you know they gave all that money to ian desmond who barely played they gave all that money to charlie blackman who's in his mid-30s and clearly in decline um and yet they just keep doing this i don't get it like it's the definition of insanity is banging your head against the wall. And nothing changes. Right. I, I, uh, I don't, uh, but I, it's gotta be the owner who's very meddlesome as I understand it. Um, You know, but uh, we've talked enough about the Rockies. So I probably shouldn't say anything more.
0: Yeah. I, I guess my last piece is that it's, it's so strange that they are, they have been aggressive in a weird way. I mean, it's not the traditional type of aggressive, but they have been aggressive. But in doing so, they haven't kept any of their guys. Like you figure if you're a team that's sitting on all this money and wants to spend it, keeping guys like Aranato or Trevor story is, is probably a safer way to go than this direction. And I can understand the (laughs) argument of, Oh, maybe those specific guys, you didn't like what they were asking. You don't like how they age long-term, whatever, or, or Aranato's case, you know, the contract was already heading to be underwater. Like, we've talked about how that wasn't necessarily a bad baseball move on its own um but but just from a general like organizational philosophy perspective if you're going to spend money why not do it on the guys you already have and i guess this is kind of them doing that but instead of spending money on the stars that they have it seems like they're more content to spend yeah a larger amount of money than they should on mid-tier guys which isn't it's not the way you go. If your choice is, okay, we don't want to spend on stars, then the next best option is, okay, well, let's pay fair value for some mid-tier guys and that we think we can get some extra surplus out of. And this really isn't that.
2: that this, is this
0: is plan you know, C.
1: This is plan C. I don't know why they keep doing plan C. What about plan A and plan
0: B? Yeah, like, I mean, like I said, I understand that it's hard to get free agents to come there, but why this when when say, Kyle Freeland, two years from... Say you keep him next year, even though he's a little under or whatever, and then he hits free agency and you need to replace that spot in the rotation. Would you rather have his remaining contract here, which comes out to, let's see, 15, 16, 16, uh, comes out to, is that 47 million for three free agent years? (laughs) Three years, 47 million. Would you rather have that? Or, like, someone in... You say Kikuchi's territory, where he signed this year for, was it two years and 20 million or something along those lines? Um, that type of free agent. And I, like I said, I get that it's not always easy to get free agent pitchers to come to Coors, but there's got to be somebody you can get, even if you do have to overpay them a little bit. But that just seems like a safer investment for not too much of a difference.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, they've been trying everything, right? The year they signed Wade Davis and Jake McGee and you know, all those guys backfired on them big time, right? Cuz they were like the, the whole point was well, we can't sign starters. So, let's try signing relievers and overpaying for them, and that didn't work. So, now they're back to well, we can't sign starters. So, let's just pay the mediocre starters that we have and get them to stick around. And so they did the same thing with Sensitella, who is also sort of averageish. So, I that's all I can figure at this point.
0: Yeah, it's like, it, it worked out when they did it for Marquez, and so they said, okay, copy-paste, copy-paste, we're going to do it for the other guys, <laughs> and, and not think about the other guys, you know, not being as as good as Marquez. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, like you said, enough on the Rockies. <laughs> uh, We have, there, there were a handful of other minor moves uh, throughout the last couple weeks, and like I mentioned, it was kind of just, you know, the, the 40th guy gets bumped off the 40-man DFA, and he gets traded somewhere else for cash, or or player to be named later, or... Whatever. That's what most of these deals were. We're not going to go into all of them. There were a couple that were somewhat notable and at least at least worth mentioning. Uh, most recently, the Giants picked up Isan Diaz from the Mar- uh from the Marlins. Uh, we have this wrong in the doc uh, from the Marlins for cash. Um, we had Diaz at a zero. He had been DFA'd, um, and it's it's really just the end of his Marlins tenure is why this is significant. We've talked a lot about. The ill-fated Christian Yelich trade in the past, and there's an entire article on it. I'll go ahead and link to that in the show notes. John's this trade in history on the Yelich trade and how much of a disaster it was. Um, But this is, I believe he was the last player from that trade still in the Marlins organization.
1: Yeah, they had
0: DFA'd Yamamoto,
1: who was kind of the fourth player in that deal. Uh, he he had, They'd cut ties with him a while ago. But they only just um, DFA'd Louis Brinson this past off season, and more recently DFA'd Monte Harrison and released him. Um, and Nassan Diaz was still, at that point, the last guy. So he basically, for like a month or so, he was the last guy remaining in that deal. But then they DFA'd him um, a week or so ago. So, uh, yeah, so they put to that one. Um, but yeah, I you know, he's still, the, to his credit, he's he's still got some upside. And the Giants are always sort of opportunistic saying, oh, okay, he's only, what, 25, you know? And there was a reason why he was once on some top 100 lists. Not high on the top 100 list, but like 80-ish, you know, and, you know, when he was younger. He just hasn't put it together at the big league level, and there's only so many opportunities you will get. If the Giants can find an opportunity for him and maybe unlock something, great. Good for them. Uh, but, yeah, he hasn't done it so far.
0: Yeah, I don't know if there are any, if there are too many, at least, um, big takeaways, big lessons to learn from the Marlins side of that deal. Um, I guess they got a few guys with some swing and miss issues, and, and maybe those are the most volatile types. But they got four guys who were, at the time, solid prospects. And, and I mean, we can talk about what went the other way in a very affordable, cost-controlled really really good player in Yelich who everybody around baseball seemed to agree had the consensus like had the opportunity it had the potential to be great if he could just get the ball off the ground a little bit um so we can th- that side of it there's definitely something to learn but, but as far as Miami's return these were four pretty solid prospects and they all just kind of busted and, and that yes, happens sometimes it, it does
1: I would, I would caution against anybody making assumption's Anything drawing any other conclusions than that? Because bad luck happens. Lots of prospects bust. This was just a very unlucky deal. I think you know the consensus in the industry was, you know, those were solid prospects. To your point, and they spread their bets. You know, they didn't just. You know, yes, Brinson was the big piece in that one at the time. Uh, but they spread their bets. They thought maybe Harrison would turn into something, maybe Asandias uh, would turn into something, and none of them did. And that's just bad luck. It happens. So, but I wouldn't say, oh, never trade, you know, a rising star for four young prospects again, because that would be overthinking things. I, I just, it, just bad luck, and it
0: happens. I guess one minor, tiny sliver of a takeaway you can have from that is, and you can. I might need you to confirm whether this is actually off-base or not. I might be making this up. I don't think I am. <laughs> um, I believe studies have been done that show that prospects who have been traded more than once typically don't perform as well. Yes, as, that brings it bell. There
1: was some study about that. I, I, yeah, I think you're referring to something way back in my memory. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was on Fangraphs or where. I think but... it was Fangraphs. But um, yes, yes, uh, you know, it was I think the point was, OK, well, the team that has the player knows them best. So maybe, you know, trade them once. OK, well, that's probably you know, reasonable because they might be getting something good back. But trade them again. If that second team says, OK, uh, that's, I'm not seeing it, you know, then that's a, sort of a second point of view. It's like a second opinion from your doctor saying eh, this is a problem. There's something not right here. And then if they trade, they're they traded a third time, like, okay, now three teams agree. So now there's, you know, fire where there's smoke.
0: Yeah, and it's obviously not the rule of, like, the golden rule. You, you know, there's going to be exceptions to it um, off the top of my head. I, I wish I could think of an example that was... A better person than this, but Kurt Schilling was traded a lot of times, um, and, mm. and he went on to have a very successful career.
1: Frankie Montas was traded Montas, a whole bunch of times. There you go. That is
0: a much more wholesome example. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um,
1: and you know, they thought it was a relief project. He couldn't put, mm-hmm. put things together. You know, they saw upside, but you know, teams kept giving up on him. Finally, the mm-hmm. A's figured him out, mm-hmm. um, but, but it took him a while. And sometimes that happens. They're late bloomers.
0: Yeah, and there's, there can also be the case of, let's say it was a guy, and this is just purely hypothetical but if it was a guy like jordan alvarez where he was traded when he wasn't really known and wasn't really on Mm. any kind of prospect radar the dodgers traded him to houston for josh Mm. fields Mm. if let's say a year and a half later like oh he's starting to hit a bit as a prospect he's like a 40 45 or something like that if then houston traded him i think that's a different type of thing it's it's oh now he has value and can get us something more than oh we we've soured on him as a player it's kind of the, the opposite
1: yeah, I mean, the first time is sort of a lottery ticket situation when they're a teenager and they're really green. The same thing happened with Tatis in the Shields trade. You know, he was a teenager. He was, what, 18 or so? And it was way too early to tell what he would become. Um, so you can't really... I mean, that's a very similar situation to Alvarez, I think.
0: Yeah. But anyway, where I was going with this was that Brinson was traded twice. Uh, he was traded by the Rangers to the Brewers. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. Was that Was that Lucroy or... I don't know we' we're, we're deep in, we're mm-hmm. digging deep I think right so. now. um but that that can just be a slight cautionary tale toward that um, yeah, yeah, that, that's as far as I'll go with it though
1: <laughs> and Taylor Tremelll comes to mind more recently as a prospect who used to be on some lists. who has been traded what three times now, so and is not really putting it together yet, so yeah, maybe they the, those teams knew something
0: yeah that's a that's a really good call. Okay. Um and then the other minor trade from the week that, you know, not quite as much name value per se or as much history behind Well, <laughs> depends how you're what how you're quantifying history here. Um the Braves and Cubs made a swap. Uh the Braves picked up Jesse Chavez, reacquired Jesse Chavez, I guess I should say, um, at negative zero point two, as well as some cash. Uh we don't know the cash amount, but we're assuming it's 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 zero point two to even the trade out. Um and they sent the Cubs Sean Newcomb, lefty at, at zero. So Newcomb, you know, former top prospect, uh, the the headliner of the Andrelton Simmons to Anaheim deal. Um, never really, I mean, he had a couple a couple seasons, couple half seasons that where he looked like he was going to be something, but his command really held him back throughout his whole career, and I believe he had a couple injuries in there as well. Um, but for the Cubs, it's, for the Cubs that aren't, you know, immediately competitive it's a it's there's something left in the tank there maybe it's it's uh, it's a it's an attractive option especially when the cost for them is a guy they had in the minor leagues and jesse chavez and then for the braves chavez has been bouncing around the big leagues his whole career i believe he's been on the braves like three separate times now he's, he's what 38 he seems like he's 50 but i heard the other day this is his 20th professional season here and and Given the way his career started, I don't think anybody saw that coming. So
2: credit <laughs> yeah, right. to him;
0: he's found a way to be valuable to many different teams. He's a he's an right. Edwin Jackson light. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, he goes back to the Braves as some pitching depth. Um, yeah, not not a whole lot more to add on that, but it's a veteran and a former top prospect, so worth mentioning at least.
1: Yeah, I mean the key for Newcomb from evaluation perspective is that he was out of options, and so you know they couldn't set him down. You know, and Atlanta's likes flexibility. They keep they keep you know moving pieces around with their their pitching staff. But you know, I think they just sort of reached the end of their rope with him. Like, okay, we's out of options. We've done what we could. All right, change the scenery. So that's all that was.
0: Yep. And then just just glancing at the chart here uh, at our logs here, uh, one last trend that's worth mentioning. We already mentioned Hassan Diaz, but the Giants have made a couple other moves. They picked up Kevin Padlow and. Uh, Mike Ford from the Mariners both in exchange for cash
2: mm-hmm. uh, the
0: Giants are having a bit of a COVID situation right now so they're going out and just kind of getting I- I'm sure there's there's something to like in, in each of these guys Padlo, spe- uh, in, in particular he has 0.7 million in trade value so
2: mm-hmm.
0: perhaps a little bit more notable than a couple of these other guys that have been shifting around and it's um... Farhan I'm not going to doubt them at all but
1: on the other hand, Padlo is another guy who keeps getting keeps getting traded. Yeah. Like, there's probably some, you know, he used to be rated a little bit higher. And value, he was in the five, he was a little bit higher than that. Then he kept dropping down, basically. Each time he gets traded, it's sort of another sort of <laughs> thing that says, okay, There's maybe there's not much there. So that's why he's downed into zeros.
0: Yeah, yeah. um, But just, just wanted to point out that they're being aggressive on on some of these 45, or excuse me, 40 man, some of these waiver yeah. guys because they need to fill the roster spots right now. Yep. Um, yeah. We'll, and we'll, once we'll in a likely... while they
1: turn into a, a Mike Mikey or, a, yeah. you know, <clears throat> a Lamont Wade, you know, they get, you know, every now and then, like one of them actually says, okay, I can play. And it turns out well for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and more likely than not, we see at least one or two of these guys uh, DFA'd again once, <laughs> once the giants get healthier. Right. Um, but, yeah. All right, that's it for trade news. Uh now we we just have a few quick injuries to hit uh to hit on that uh, have significant value implications. Uh first one is that Jami Jo Oh my goodness. I'm <laughs> I am i am blurring words together. John Means undergoes Tommy John surgery. Some reason that headline was
2: Difficult Say that three times me. fast.
0: With, with the two Johns and Tommy, and the fact that Johnny <laughs> me. is a name, and Means, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what it was, but we, we, are leaving that in. <laughs> John Means undergoes Tommy John surgery. Um, I, I hate to make, make jokes of such a, an yeah. unfortunate event. Um, he he was really looking like a strong pitcher last season, and then he, I believe he was injured for a little bit middle of the year, and when he came back, he wasn't quite the same guy. Um, it's good that at least he's going to get healthy and, and, you know, theoretically, he'll come back to a more competitive Orioles team, uh, but still a bit of a bummer and and has an impact on his long-term value. And, and maybe, I don't want to speculate too much, but perhaps it uh, has, it, it, it might help explain why he wasn't traded this past offseason. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, you know, he's younger, he's under team control, he's, the Orioles don't have much of any pitching and they want to be good at some point. Um, but if there were medical questions, um, given the years of control and what his price was looking like at that point, if there were any kind of medical questions, it makes sense that a team like the Rangers wasn't wasn't thrilled to to put a couple prospects together for something like that.
1: Yeah, no, teams seem to have some radar about that when when a guy is you know. Having elbow trouble or what have you, or shoulder trouble, it tends to be a red flag and it scares teams away. And then inevitably, well, almost all the time, we find out later, okay, it was it was a problem and teams were right to avoid it. I uh, just want to comment on the valuation change. Obviously, that's the big reason why his value dropped so much. But if you just kind of look at the numbers, you know, he's not he's making three million this year and he's not going to pitch at all, right? So. um Assumption is he's going to make another three about the same amount next year because that's typically the way arbitration works. If you didn't play, you just repeat the same salary. And he's probably going to be back like mid season-ish next year, but potentially Mm -hmm. later than that, depending on the timing, it's 12 to 18 months. So we just said teams are wary of taking chances. So you figure, okay, maybe he'll pitch like 20% of the year next year. And so... That's not going to give you – you know, that gives you a tiny bit of surplus value there if he's anything like he was before. And by the third year, assuming he's sort of back to health, but there's still some risk, you know, 20% of, of pitchers are not quite the same after Tommy John surgery. He's got to bake that in. So we have him at like, okay, he's probably worth 13-ish million, and he'll probably get about four points out. So you're, you're getting a like eight-ish in surplus value the third year but that's offset by the negative value of this year. And so we're, that's why we have him down to six, all told.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. And it's, it's an unfortunate kind of cratering of his value, but on the flip side of it, he comes back, gets returns to form, especially that first half form last year, that, that value has some room to go up as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Next injury, Eloy Jimenez, six to eight weeks with a hamstring strain. It's, it's the the initial report and and this timeline agrees with it is that it isn't as bad as his i believe it was a pectoral injury last year
2: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. um but this is a guy who has already shown some difficulty staying on the field he's a he's a great exciting hitter and um an exciting defender in in one sense of the word exciting <laughs> he can he, venture to watch out there um, and maybe that leads to some of this injury proneness but the the White Sox are a team with, with already we, – we've talked about it before. They have a lot of bat-first guys, and so there's only one DH spot for all of them. And so to this point, they've used him a fair bit in the outfield, and, and maybe that changes upon his return. But um, I, I have to guess, John, that the injury here is, is – now that it's a repeated in, in, excuse me a repeated long-term injury and hamstrings are the types that can kind of flare back up after a while – um, I'd have to imagine it has a negative impact on his value.
1: It does, obviously. You know, it impacts this year. Now, we're not going to read too much into it, um, you know, because he's still kind of young. And when you're younger, you have a tendency to kind of bounce back a bit more. When you're older, if he was over 30, then it would start to nag a little bit. Uh, And I'm speaking from experience here, but but also proven research. So, you know, we're gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, But, you know, it's also the fact that, you know, as you mentioned, he's not like a great defender, you know, he's more of a DH type in a perfect world. So in a trade scenario, he would be viewed more like that. Not a lot of defensive value. So you've got injury risk that's starting to increase. You've got, you know, no defensive value to speak of. And you've got a fixed contract, you know, that still has, you know, a fair amount of money left. He's got He's still owed, what, $47.4 at this time. So his value is all that considered is in the low single digits now. There's not much surface left when you consider all that.
0: And especially worth... Um, worth reiterating with him being on that fixed contract, a low surplus value does not mean he's like not a valuable player. It means that he's just not overproducing the contract too much. Obviously he's still a strong hitter. He's still young. He still has loads of potential beyond it. But since that salary number is not changing at all, these fluctuations in his ability to stay on the field and in his projected on-field performance, they, they will allow his value to kind of swing a little bit
1: yeah so he's worth 50.2 and he's going to be making 47.4 so he's got a little bit of a surplus at 2.8 according
0: to our model yeah all right and then the last one to touch on michael conforto season-ending shoulder surgery we heard back in january that during the lockout conforto had been working out and had uh i believe he dove for a ball and injured his shoulder but it, it seemed like it wasn't a big deal at the time um, and, and then we hear out of nowhere that he underwent season-ending shoulder, uh, shoulder surgery. So this is the the cap of a nightmare off-season for Conforto. Um, it started with him somewhat questionably receiving the, the qualifying offer. Um, so, you know, it seemed like he had a good chance to accept it and, and decided not to, decided to bet on himself. And then obviously the lockout came and went and did not do him any favors i mean if he's if he's signed with the team before d- does he still injure himself that same way in january i i don't know um but now it's now it's looking real questionable of how how what's his market going to look like after a year off you know after a disappointing 2021 season yeah um, and, and then nothing in 2022 and and shoulder surgery yeah um, his main appeal this off season was that he was young and had previously been so good and, and that he was one of the younger offensive options on the market be you know once you get past the Correa's of of the market um yeah but now that's that's gone after after another just gone year a lost year so it's it's going to be interesting to see what things look like for him next offseason.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess the only bright spot is you know he had that qualifying offer attached. So any team that would have signed him would have lost a draft pick. But you know now that this issue means he's out of you know out of contention for a year, that won't be an issue next year. Having said that. It's not the major issue. The major issue is, yeah, he underperformed last year, and now he's had soldier surgery just now. So, you know, he's not going to get much, you know, and then somebody's going to give him a pillow deal next year, next off season, and, you know, kind of take it step by step. And if he overperforms that, then maybe he has another shot to make, you know, decent free agent money. But, yeah, it's a really unfortunate situation for him.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine him getting anywhere near the qualifying offer next year. No. anywhere near the value there whether it is uh, you know maybe there's a chance he gets some sort of two-year deal or three-year deal or something with an opt-out or an option or something along those lines but the AAV is going to be nowhere near that
1: yeah uh, no. was it 18.4 it,
0: it yeah 18.4 yeah, on the qualifying offer
1: no it'll be a short-term low risk low salary ish yeah. see what he does kind of situation yeah um, can we talk about Alberto Aldo, Mondesi? I forgot oh, about him. Oh,
0: yeah. That one's, uh, that one's rough as well. I mean, let me pull something up on him, but, but you can... Yeah,
1: I'm happy to talk about it. So so Mondesi has been sort of a curious player because when he's on, he can be... He has flashes of greatness. He'll go on streaks where he's just raking and making wonderful defensive plays at shortstop. And you think, oh, my God, this guy is all world. And then he gets injured. And then he comes back, and he's not quite the same. And then he gets injured again. But then he goes on a hot tear again. and and then he gets injured again and then he's like okay again or not so good not so interesting and you know like he's going up and down up and down both in terms of performance and both in terms of health and and injury so like what do you make of him so we had a factory in all of that and you know the given you know the main data we have on in injury is, like, how much playing time has he actually had in the last few years? Not all that much. He can't seem to put a season together. So you got to, like, you can't expect that if you were ever to trade for him. You, you're attracted by the flashes of greatness. But then you also see, like, the bad news where he just sort of stinks for a while, to be honest. Oh, and by the way, he's been out of options as well for a while. So, um, so um yeah. Uh So, sadly... <laughs> His is not a you know what did he have a torn ACL I believe it is now and so he's out for yeah. the
0: year as well, uh, yeah. He's honestly fairly similar. We we talked about it before uh, about this guy before, but he's honestly got a very similar profile to Javier Baez, um, just just with more more uh, emphasis on speed than power, obviously. But the yeah. I think a, a part of the reason for his just wild swings in production is the plate discipline doesn't exist <laughs> you know he's, he's a five yeah, percent walk guy with 30 plus percent strikeouts and and that's coming from a guy who's hit more than 10 homers once in a year so like it yeah it's a it's a strange profile and he with the defense with the speed he got it to work and, and you know he had a couple high babbit years that helped it out but yeah once you factor in the injuries um it gets it gets to a tough situation
1: yeah and the out of option status and um yeah so and and he only had you know less than two years of control and known this year is wiped out so to the extent that he comes back next year we'll see what the you know acl recovery timeline is and how it comes back but given all that you know um it's a weird situation from a numbers perspective because he has negative value this year because, you know, assuming the Royals keep him on their payroll, they'll, they'll be paying about two and a half million for him to recover. And then he'll make another three million next year. Um, and he'll be, you know, best case scenario he's worth a little bit more than that. But that's not enough to compensate for the negative value of this year, which is why his overall number is negative, which is weird because, you know, you might keep him. Hoping to recoup some of that value next year, um, but it's not much. <clears throat> so even if it's surplus value next year is like 1.2, which is not enough to counter the minus 2.5 this year, so it's very sort of. I, mean, I could see somebody, tra- you know, trading for him and giving him a shot later or whatever. But or the Royals just sort of keeping him and seeing how it goes. It's not that big a deal. It's three million this year, probably three million next year. It's just an unfortunate situation for the player.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh I'm interested in the implications for the Royals in the in the mid and long term here, uh, as far as positionally. Um the, the caveat here that their entire offense has been pretty terrible outside of Andrew Pennington hitting a bunch of singles. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, once once in, in a perfect world here, I don't I don't know what they're because they had Bobby Witt Jr. playing third base, partially to keep an, a middle infield spot open for Mondesi. Um, and Witt has had his struggles, but I, I have no doubts that he's going to hit long term. And, and the question has kind of been, is he a shortstop? Is he a third baseman? So I wonder if this bumps him to shortstop at some point here once he once he gets the bat going, uh, because you know they have
2: mm-hmm.
0: Nikki Lopez and Witt Merrifield, who both have a lot of positional versatility themselves. Mm-hmm. So, and the the incentive to move him to shortstop would be get at bats <laughs> for M J Melendez who Mm -hmm. top-catching prospect. I believe he led the minors in home runs last season, Um, and they've been playing him at third base sometimes in the minors. And and he's also off to a slow start, so maybe I'm just getting way ahead of everything here. Um, But at least from a Royals roster construction standpoint, they have a lot of options that they might not have had before.
1: I think it depends how competitive they get this year, because Nicky Lopez was fantastic. You know, he basically stole Montesy's job last year because, you know, I think he led the league an ounce above average. So defensively, he was wonderful. And offensively, he woke up as well, uh, which he hadn't really done before. So he was quite the player. So like you would think in most teams, yeah, that's our shortstop. Um, but so what do you do with You know, I don't I'm not an expert on Bobby with skill set enough to say, does he fit better at third versus short? It would seem to me, if you're valuing defense and the Royals have a history of valuing defense, you would just keep Lopez at short and keep Witten in third and see what happens. You know, wait for Melendez to start hitting and then you got a problem. It's like so you've got some patience and some time to figure it out, but that's what I would do.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that that last point—you've got patience and time to figure it out—is really the key takeaway there. Yeah. Um, I actually had missed one other tidbit of trade news that we said we would talk about. Um, so let's touch on that really quick there were rumors that the and this just came out the other day uh that denelson lamette is on the trade block for the padres uh reliever his value has really come down he was one of those first guys uh, when we kind of were first starting up where it's like huh are we sure about this or at least that's what i was asking i was like huh Mm -hmm. are we we sure that Mm -hmm. that he's that valuable of a player like he's denelson lamette and he kind of came out of nowhere and whatever and and you rightfully you were like no he he absolutely is that valuable he's his stuff is nasty and he's making starts for the padres and if he continues as a starter then then he's he has his work cut out like he he's going to be a valuable major league arm Mm -hmm. and so you kind of double down on that and at the time definitely correct but since then injuries have just really Mm -hmm. devastated his career and, and his value here and so now he's a reliever and the stuff isn't quite looking the same as it once did. And he's he's not expensive by any means, but he is making a few million in arbitration now. And the Padres are reportedly looking for some offensive versatility, flexibility, um, and, and looking into moving him. Um, we originally had his value at $1.5 but you said it was bumped down to zero, correct?
1: Yeah, because we just started making some uh, updates, yeah. which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, so, we thought it was fair to just, okay, what does his latest update suggest? And it suggests he's, you know, has no surplus value. There's still some field value there. But yeah, so here's the thing he, because he was a starter, he entered his arbitration years as a starter and therefore getting paid starter money. Um, but then he switched to the bullpen, and that's a little too much for a reliever, especially given. The fact that he's been a struggling reliever at least this year, so he's making 4.8 million this year. And if all things hold in arbitration, he would be scheduled to make 7.2 million this year. That's a bit much unless you're really well performing as a reliever, which unfortunately he's not. Which could also mean it's because of some persistent arm injuries. We're not sure yet, um, but it basically means there's zero surplus value. 4.8 million, you know, prorate that down to one sixth of a season season pass, so figure four million. Uh Yeah, there's not much there. And it doesn't look like he's going to be returning to be a starter, given all the health and durability issues. So, you know, does anybody, you know, and the fact that it's been reported that the Padres are trying to trade him for salary flexibility means they don't have a whole lot of confidence because they're a contending team, remember? If they wanted to be a contending team and they thought he was good enough to, you know, be a key piece in their bullpen... Four million dollars they could swing, but they're basically sending a red, a white flag up saying, "I'm sorry, you know, we need to save this money. anybody want him?" And so there's really no surplus value that I can figure from any, from a market standpoint, from a supply demand standpoint, from a numbers standpoint. It it doesn't look good.
0: Yeah, that that seven point two million number that you figured for, mm-hmm. for you know if, if he stayed on this track and entered mm-hmm. his next year of arbitration mm-hmm. that's roughly what taylor rogers is making in his final final year of arbitration and taylor rogers is one of the better left-handed yeah. relievers in the game and and he's been a closer and so he gets the saves boost in arbitration and so mm-hmm. that's what you're looking at as far as like on the reliever scale of it and to Nelson Lamette, could he be taylor rogers i mean at some point we would have absolutely said yeah he could be that good um, but given what he's shown us and given the injuries, that's a massive question. I mean, I guess it's still a possibility, but it's you, you don't pay it's guys based shot. on their 95th percentile outcome. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, prior to our adjustment, like I said, we had him at one and a half. We have one trade in here um, from yesterday, from when that was reported uh, by user AJ Bucks, who has... The the Padre is sending him to the Pirates in exchange for Ben Gamble at 0.8 and Kevin Newman at 0.7, so it evens out 1.5 each, but that that just kind of goes to show you what type of return at the higher end we think we think lament would, would be potentially going for. And, and like I said, that's before the value adjustment there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if they get any takers for him, it would be just a, you know, a very, you know, a 0.2 ish prospect, you know, at best because we haven't zero, so Somebody way down the list on the prospect side, basically the lottery ticket and they would save the money. So um I think that's what we're looking at.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's essentially a return for either salary relief or 40 man relief. Yeah. Alright. Now we can head on to that Bowden article. So the second I saw this come through my feed on the athletic, it was like, oh no.
2: Oh here
0: here gosh. we do. Here we go. We're, yeah. we're, doing, we're doing this again. Yeah. So
1: we've set our eight. piece on Bowden, by the way. Yeah. You know, we did a whole research piece on how accurate his trades are. And sorry to say, Jim, but they're not very accurate. So but you know, uh he's doing what he's doing.
0: Yeah, and he continues to do it. <laughs> um so this article april 22nd is bowden eight likely landing spots in the trade for ace starter frankie montas okay makes sense i mean he's he's the last of the trade chips really from the off season that didn't get moved so i mean all right i i understand it's it's some speculation you know there were the white Sox rumors that we covered in the last episode that clearly didn't go anywhere and, and it you know nothing seems particularly imminent here he might be a deadline guy that gets moved whatever but you know, Bowden needs something to write. He needs some clicks. So, so here we go. He lists eight teams here, and we'll we'll, we'll just get into it. We'll, we'll let the we'll let the proposal speak for themselves. All right. So he starts off with the Tampa Bay Rays, which I think we are both immediately on board with, right? That we we've talked about.
1: Yeah, makes sense.
0: We've talked about them as a fit in the past for either Mania or Montas, and obviously Manaya didn't end up going there. Uh, but we've talked about them as a fit for Montas. Um, they could, they could use the frontline arm there and they have more than enough prospects, especially they're pretty crowded in the middle infield. So, okay. Um, so he, he prefaces it with the Braves aren't going to trade any of their top prospects like Shane Boz, Taj Bradley, Josh Lowe, or Greg Jones. And okay, I get, yeah, they're not going to trade Shane Boz. They're not going to trade Josh Lowe. And, and and you can, you can argue about guys like Bradley or uh or greg jones you know they are they are mm-hmm. higher value guys but you know they're not they're not quite in that untouchable tier in general you know for the rays in particular maybe i don't know if that's inside reporting from bowden that they're hanging on to these guys i assume he's just saying nah they're too valuable for this trade um but i mean you can argue on those two but yeah boz low not going anywhere i'm with it and then he goes there could be a strong package centered around the versatile speedster vidal Bruhan. Add right-handed pitcher Seth Johnson, and that could persuade Oakland to pull the trigger. The Rays certainly have enough prospects to make a deal and enough depth to withstand it. All right, I agree with that last line. have enough prospects to make a deal and enough depth to withstand it. And I actually, you know, that could persuade Oakland to pull the trigger. Sure, we've seen crazier. Uh, The values aren't quite there, though. Uh, So we have Montas. um, He was actually just updated to 37.8. We have Brujan at 20.7 and Johnson at 9.6. So that's 30.3 for 37.8. Um, this one's barely accepted by the model um, as an overpay. All right, yeah, overpay by the A's, underpay by the Rays, however you want to look at it. There, there's a bit of a gap here. But it's it's within, you know, within some level of reason. I would expect, mm-hmm. you know, we, we saw Minaya go for pennies on the dollar uh, as far as our values go and kind of reassessed how, how, how we were operating there. And I think Montas is different. I think the extra year of control is huge. I think, um, just the, the quality of pitcher and the confidence in, in the quality of pitcher, given just how nasty he is. Um, and, and I, I think, and, and the build and it, the build implies durability. I know he hasn't stayed on the field a hundred percent of the time the last few years, but he's kind of, he's got the pitcher look, you know, he, he's got the guy, he's got the looks of a guy who can maintain 98 for a few years. Yeah. Um, so and just, you know, the more the season goes on, the closer we get to the deadline, the more teams are going to need pitching. And there's always going to be those pop up guys like, oh, look at, you know, just, just pulling a name out of my hat. I know he hasn't been good this year, but oh, JT Brubacher, he's put together a handful of good starts for the Pirates. And now he's yeah. an under the radar trade candidate like those type mm-hmm. of guys pop up every year. Mm-hmm. But as of now, we're not really seeing anybody anywhere close to Montas. Um, that could be available at the deadline at at least off the top of my head and and like I said there's gonna be guys that pop up there's gonna be teams that fall out of the race and decide to move guys you know if the White Sox somehow tanked and decided to move Lance Lynn or something like that but right now he's the guy and so I expect him to go for pretty close to what we have his value as I don't expect any bargain deals like for Minaya and so this one is this one is feeling light
1: and that's why the Rays haven't, I mean, the A's haven't traded him yet because they haven't, you know, they're holding out for their price. Um, that's my understanding anyway. Um, and look, if this were at the deadline, Montas, as we you know mentioned, we've just, we're just starting our first round of updates about one month into the season. We're fairly close to it. Um, so, you know, I'm doing the pitchers and the starters. If they've had five starts, um, I think it's fair game to update them when he's crossed that threshold just, just a day or two ago. Um and you know his value went down from like 39 to 37.8 so it's very solid um but th- if this were a deadline deal you know two more months would pass um actually let's see in a into june actually three more months right <laughs> yeah so it be this would be a fair deal at the deadline is what i'm saying montas would be down to 30 maybe even in the 20s this would be a fair deal but but bowden says specifically um Frankie Montas is expected to be dealt long before the July trade deadline. And our numbers reflect today, like what would happen if he were traded today. So who knows what he means by long before, but he's not saying, oh, this is a deadline deal. So we can't assume that. <clears throat> so if this were a fair deal, this could be a fair deal at the deadline, is what I'm saying, given the erosion of value between now and then on Montas. But if it's today, it's not a fair deal.
0: Yep, I full heartedly agree. Um, But I'll give him credit; he's on the right track here. Okay. We we can talk, you know, a couple other names in that you know three to four range. You know, fill that kind of that four for one framework that Oakland has been going for. And, And and you can quibble about the specifics here of whether you think they would want Brujan exactly or Johnson exactly or or whatever. Um, but on the surface, you know, we're 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 in the neighborhood on value, and I say that. And and you should you should expect that we're about to leave the neighborhood on value for these next few
1: trades. Oh, no. Mm. Mr. Uh, Bowden's neighborhood. It's not so safe oh. anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- things are going to get worse from here. All right, next one, St. Louis Cardinals. Again, uh, a fine fit. They've had the injury to Jack Flaherty. Um, they're a team that clearly wants to be competitive right now. And there were rumors that they were in on Manaya as well as Montas during the offseason, but couldn't quite come together on on a package uh, with Oakland. Uh, but that's kind of where, where the agreement's going to stop here, John. Uh, so <laughs> they could get Montas... T- I'm reading from the article again. They could get Montas today if they're willing to trade third baseman slash second baseman Nolan Gorman straight up. But as of now, they have no interest in trading the power hitter for a starting pitcher they'll only control for two years. All right, pause. Uh, no, <laughs> it's 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 along the same lines as what we were just saying. You know, if we're talking at the deadline, then maybe. uh But we have Gorman at twenty eight point six and Mania, as I mentioned, at thirty seven point eight. One for one, that's that's not going to get it done. And and okay, I can give you the benefit of the doubt again, Jim. You know. Let's say it's a few weeks from now, so so Montas's value is a little bit lower, and let's say, you know, there's a couple of those, you know, second and third pieces that aren't super notable and bring the value up a little bit. Okay, we're getting into the territory there. He's at mm-hmm. least he's at least on the right track that Gorman would be a suitable headliner from Oakland's right. perspective. I'll I'll give him that. Yep. And he continues to say with Arnado side long term and the fact that Gorman probably won't be good enough defensively to play second base long term, especially if the defensive shift is eventually banned. It might make them at least take a pause to consider. And that can be a bit of a red flag for a prospect's value, you know, if they're if they're not good enough defensively to play one of the lower valued defensive positions at second. Um that can be a bit of a a red flag um mm-hmm. as far as a prospect's value, but but mm-hmm. we won't go into that. They also can't be talked into trading third baseman Jordan Walker <clears throat> or Southpaw Matthew Liberator. Okay. I again we're talking from uh, like a team's per- specific perspective and yeah jordan walker is at 50.4 he's a very good third base prospect yeah they're not going to trade him just for montas alone okay and liberator 23.7 but you figure maybe they figure him they like him as you know their sixth starter kind of waiting in the wings they factor him into their current major league rotation depth okay i'll give you that one and then he goes to say uh, and with Yadier Molina expected to retire at season's end, they won't deal a catching prospect of on Herrera. He's down at 13. Point, I lost the tab. He's down at 13.2, um, and the A's are looking pretty deep at catcher right now, so I don't see a whole lot of interest there mm-hmm. either. Okay, I'm still I'm still mostly with you, Jim. Until we get here, here's his actual proposal. They aren't eager to lose either of their former first-round pick starters in Michael McGreevy and left-handed in left-hander Zach Thompson. But trading one of them, along with the power bat of Juan Yepes or third base prospect Malcolm Nunez, would probably get it done. No, it wouldn't. All four of those guys wouldn't get it done.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so
0: we have, in order here, we got McGreevy is the highest of the bunch at 10.1. I believe, was he their 2021 first rounder? Yes. Yeah. So we have him at 10.1. Uh, we have Thompson, who he said either McGreevy or Thompson is the headliner. Okay. So we have McGreevy at 10.1. Thompson's at 3.3. So mm-hmm. that that's a... That's a jump there. Mm-hmm. And then he says one of the other two corner infield types in Yepez or Nuñez. Yepes is at 4.1, Nuñez is at 2.1. Mm-hmm. If this were the price for the Cardinals, they would have Montas. Like this this doesn't Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with how extensive with how much they need him and how extensively they seem to have talked in the offseason they, they weren't holding out to pay less than McGreevy and Nunez or or McGreevy and Yepes if we're going like the higher end of this of these four guys that that wasn't what was the hold up in the deal I, I promise you <laughs> so no this this isn't it those four guys combined if we did all four of those guys it's 19.6 and so we're still almost 20 million <laughs> below on value below the 37.8
1: yeah so, that's pieces and parts for like 20 for quality and that's yeah. Typically, yeah. Um, now, um, one of the, you know when we did that uh, article about you know how accurate are our, our Bowden's uh, trade proposals. You know, one of the commenters on one of his previous articles said, "Oh, Jim seems particularly attracted to first round draft picks, and he seems to think that if you were once a first round draft pick, you will always have high value, and it seems to disregard anything they've done since they were drafted." McGreevy was a first-round draft pick. Zach Thompson was a first-round draft pick back in 2019. He hasn't really performed all that well since then, um, you know. So, you know, you think, okay, well, maybe that's what's attracting Jim to these types of pieces in these proposals. He thinks they have very high value because that, you know, that was their once their status. So they have a little bit of pedigree. So in other words, he's overvaluing that pedigree and disregarding anything else. And it seems like that's a pattern with him.
0: Yeah, I've definitely noticed that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the line he finishes with is, if the Cardinals offer Gorman, they'll get Montas. But I wouldn't do it either. I, I mean, we can, we could go back and forth on this one. I mean, I, I would assume the, you know, reading between the lines on it, if the Cardinals offer Gorman, as part of, as part of the package, <laughs> then yeah, they can probably get Montas. You know, considering if the A's are interested in Gorman specifically. Um, and then you can go back and forth on whether you would do it personally. But going back to, to the four that he did propose, or I guess the the two pairs that he did propose, I, I, I could reasonably seeing the see the A's being interested in any of these four guys or in multiple of these four guys, but they're just not going to get it done. I mean, the A's have shown an interest in former first rounders. So a guy like McGreevy, sure, he'd mm-hmm. have a lot of interest to them. And, and you know, Thompson... Maybe they think there's a reclamation project there, but but they're they're clearly not going to be valuing him as a headliner at that McGreevy level anywhere close. And I mean I think Yepes would be attractive to them. He's very clearly blocked in Saint Louis and the A's have oh man, don't even make me think about the current A's first base situation. It's, <laughs> it's Billy McKinney and Christian Bethancourt, and it's going as well as you would expect, <laughs> and I'm not happy about it. But we're not going oh. on that tangent. <laughs> um but, you know, some of these guys specifically, they yeah, they make sense for the a's but as the, as need... kind of you know secondary tertiary yeah. pieces as filling out a gorman deal <clears throat> right, right. As, as filling out a deal that already has gorman or another headliner like that in it. yeah yeah so the, that's where this one is and um it's it's not getting better john <laughs> oh dear what's next the angels are next are you <laughs> are you interested to hear oh my goodness this <laughs> so this article as i mentioned is from april 22nd and I, I read it on that day and one of the first comments on it was was correcting a typo in in this section and i've just noticed the typo is still here
2: <laughs> Uh oh
0: um, copy editing issue yeah copy editing slash jim <laughs>
2: uh-huh uh,
0: so so let's see if you can spot the typo all right uh, so he starts the, the little blurb, you know, making, you know, the Angels are making oh, progress gosh. here in competitive dis- division, blah, 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 And then he goes, with Joe Adele and Jordan Marsh, <laughs> looking like they're ready to be the corner outfielders surrounding Trout for years to come, the A-team could offer the A's one of their top outfield prospects. Okay. uh, Yeah, the issue there is Jordan Marsh. There, There is no, no player such, on the Angels no, named no Jordan Marsh. No, no such person. <laughs> no. It is Brandon Marsh who is, yeah, very good and not going to be traded to the A's in a Frankie Montas deal. So, okay, I'm with you on that. Um, Adele, he's he's a very difficult guy. You know, his, his value has been swinging in all kinds of different directions lately. And, and I, I still think John is, or excuse me, <laughs> I still think Jim <laughs> is higher on him than he should be. And, and a lot of the industry seems to, to still be sticking to the name value of Joe Adele when he really his stock has fallen, you know, he's changed as a player and and not in the best way. And he hasn't really shown too much ability to hit major league pitching without striking out 40% of the time. So uh, we have his value down at 19. And I mean, maybe if the A's were particularly interested in him, then he could work as part of a deal, but he could also be seen as a bit of a falling knife. And, you know, maybe the angels think he's too critical to their current team because, you know, they cut Justin Upton, they, they, They've gotten really good production out of Taylor Ward in the outfield, but who knows how long that lasts. Um, So maybe they they have him as a part of their big league team right now and aren't willing to trade him anyway. Um,
1: Yeah. Okay. so not to go on a tangent about Joe Adele, but go for it. You know, this is his third try at the major league level. And so far he has zero war. He has a strikeout rate of thirty six point two percent against a walk rate of only one point seven percent. That's the big issue. He's King way too much, and that's not going to fly at the major league level. His projections, all major projection systems seem to agree. Steamer Steamer says he's worth 0.2 going forward. Zip says 0.4 and so on. And, you know, so far in his major league career, he's produced a grand total of negative 1.3 f 4. So the numbers are not looking good, and the way our model works is we start to – You know, when the clock starts ticking at the major league level, you're put up or shut up time. And he has not put up yet, even though he's showing signs of improvement. He got a 109 WRC+. Now, granted, offense is down across the league. So you can get that by only hitting 246 and 259, 456. So it's not great. uh, But everybody's struggling is the point. So um, but we still haven't seen him put it all
0: together. And until we do, he's still going to be kind of a disappointment. And that's the story so far. Yeah, and when we have to factor these guys' major league per- performances into their value, we can't mm-hmm. just go off his old prospect evaluation because mm-hmm. I think, I think if, and, and they've kind of alluded to it in you know various chats and articles and such since, but if given the chance to reevaluate Adele as a minor leaguer right now, I think. He, he would be significantly lower than he was before. And so yeah. that that led to the the Luis Urias rule mm-hmm. <laughs> that we've kind of adopted on the site of, of how we handle those kinds of guys. Um, And you can push back and say, well, look at Luis Urias now. He's great. And yeah, he got some of that prospect type, prospect type, not the prospect type. He got some of that prospect, hype, prospect, hype, the prospect, of that prospect uh, shine. There we go. He got some of that back and, and he's looking like a very good major league player. But for every Luis Urias, there's... A hundred, maybe a thousand, Billy McKinneys and and Franklin Barrettos and those Christian
1: types. Pache <clears throat> is I another
0: mean, one who's lost a lot of value yeah. because he hasn't hit the major league level yet, and he's still not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, we have to we have to ding them for that. They're not going to be mm-hmm. valued like a, a prospect who hasn't gotten a chance yet. They're going to be valued like a former top prospect who has failed in the chance they have gotten. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, to his credit, he's still 23. We know that. And he's still like working it out. We know it sometimes takes time. So that's why we prorate it. We give him basically a two year window to say, okay, you know, and that's, you know, steadily, steadily as time marches on after that two years, you know, that front office will say, well, he hasn't produced yet. And typically that. That you know, there's probably been some up and down optioning, and so the options are burned. At that point, you're looking at a guy with zero or one options who hasn't performed two, in the in the solid two years that they gave him, and then definitely the value will go down. So that's kind of where where it's heading right now, but it's not totally there yet because he still has some prospect value.
0: Yeah, and, and Joe Adele tangent aside, you know, <laughs> we, we with that all with all of that in mind, he wouldn't be a good fit. As a headliner, necessarily for this, um, but but I promise you, we're, we're only getting worse.
1: <laughs> no, and the fact that you know Jim doesn't seem to know that the Angels outfielder is Brandon Marsh is yeah. some fans think that's a red flag for Jim there too. And I, <laughs> I, I
0: don't want to read
1: too I, much I, about that. Maybe it's just a typo, but maybe he really doesn't do a whole lot of research on who these yeah. guys are.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and just the lack of. Self-awareness of humility yeah. or anything like that, lack of yeah. reading the comments and, and changing it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you. That's also a copy <clears throat> editing thing, and I don't mean to to call out a copy editing issue for the athletic or anything. I don't. I think I, I think they're fine. I think they have good editors. I I, I know well, some of them personally and like them. But
1: <laughs> yeah, but they should have caught that.
0: Yeah. Um, but anyway, back to the trade. Uh, we're we're going down from here for sure. Uh, the team could offer the A's one of their top outfield prospects in the speedy Jordan Adams or the power-hitting Alexander Ramirez. Throw in a, oh, here's one of these lines. Throw in a pitching conference like Chase Silseth, and we might be able to call a press conference. <laughs> I, I believe <laughs> it was before conference. we started recording, <laughs> we we talked about Bowden's Bowden's tendency to to to. And I understand you gotta you gotta mix it up. You can't just say like this might get a deal done to end every single blurb. You got you as a writer, you gotta mix it up, you gotta change the pace, use some variety. Uh, but he has a tendency right. to like say like call it a done deal or we're calling the mm-hmm. press conference.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's funny. He usually says that on like the worst trades of the article.
1: <laughs> yeah, so if you so, imagine the A saying, Hey, we just traded Frank Motas for Alexander Ramirez and Chase Silseth and we're so excited about we're calling a press conference for <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're the Angels, you're
0: absolutely calling a press conference, <laughs> yeah, that, right? Right? Like, right? We just performed a heist, and we want to brag about it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So, to the players themselves. So he's saying one of those two outfielders and Silseth. Uh, Silseth we have at 0.8, so so not a strong start. And the outfielders: Adams at 4.9, Ramirez at 4.2. Yeah. So, so we're looking at barely cracking five million in trade value for no. for Montas at thirty-seven point eight. I don't, no. I haven't clicked the validate trade button on the site, but I don't <laughs> think, think that one's going to be accepted. No,
1: you don't think the A's are calling a press conference on that one, huh? <laughs>
0: Not quite. And and like like we did before, even if we throw all three guys together, it's nine point nine. We aren't even cracking no. ten million. Yeah, and and another thing that happens is,
1: you know, here again. Jim's doesn't seem to be terribly abreast of the times. Like Jordan Adams was kind of like a guy, a prospect who was talked about like three, four years ago, but he's kind of stalled out, which is why his, you know, he's still got some skills, but, and there's still a possibility that, you know, those skills will manifest at some level, but he's kind of stalled out and those are typically not hot trade chips.
0: Yeah. He he is definitely slower than he's he's particularly slow. Um, when it comes to reassessing guys' value. And and it goes back to stuff like the Zach Thompson thing with the Cardinals deal. All right. Next one, I don't want to spend too long on because we talked about it last episode. It's the White Sox. Mm -hmm. And we talked pretty extensively about how it's kind of Vaughn or bust for them. You know, you, you, you do Vaughn or... It's going to cost them their like, top five or six prospects, mm-hmm. all of them. And mm-hmm. that's not something that it, a team like them is going to want to do because they're going to want to make other additions down the road and they're going to want to hang on to a couple of those guys at least and, and so on and so forth. Um, and so he starts his blurb by addressing the Vaughn rumors and he says that shouldn't surprise anyone that, that, they, vo- that they did not pull the trigger on Vaughn and saying that Rick Hahn also refused to put Vaughn in a deal for Lance Lynn a couple years back. However, a deal centered around outfielder Yoelki Cespedes and a pitching prospect like Jared Kelly or Andrew Dalquist might be something the A's could settle on if they can't beat it elsewhere on the trade market uh here's a uh here's a tip for you john uh excuse me i, I keep doing I keep calling Jim john <laughs> um but but Jim uh the a's could beat that elsewhere on the trade market they could beat that a lot of elsewheres on the trade market
2: yeah
0: um if we're again if we're just looking at the two guys. Cespedes 7.5 and then either Dahlquist 3.7 or Kelly 2.2 it's better than the last one but just barely uh, again if, if it's if it's Cespedes and Kelly we're not breaking 10 million if it's Dahlquist we just barely do it and if it's all three guys we're at 13.4 so hard no we, we've already kind of given yeah. our piece on the White Sox of it and this this just doesn't get anywhere close yeah and and
1: I don't see a fit. I mean, DAs the, the basically said, okay, you know, Vaughn, we could do. Yeah, we're talking pieces and parts after that, and they want like you know, if you look at the way the returns typically are structured, like if you look at the Matt Olson deal, you've got like a clear headliner that was Linkoliers, you've got a, a floor guy, so Christian Pache may not have hit much in the um, major league level, but he can field very well center, so you got at least a defensive fielder that is major league ready. So you can count on that. And then you got two sort of prospect pitch pitchers with some upside. And so they, they try to balance that between like, okay, let me give it, let's get, it's got a guy with upside, you know, a guy with a floor. You saw that with the Blue Jays and the Matt Chapman deal. They got the guy with the upside in Hoglin, guy with the floor, in Kevin Smith, and then a couple of, you know a, you know, a couple of pitchers who were long shots. So, so, you know, there's not really one of the, you can't structure a package like that with the White Sox because they don't really have that headliner or that sort of type of structure. Like, maybe you can throw in Gavin Sheets as the floor guy, if you will, as a second piece, but there's no headliner. You know, and these other guys are not going to do it. And you could throw in maybe Dahlquist as kind of the third guy, you know, like they did. you saw with the Braves, but again, you're missing the headliner. So I don't see a deal with the White Sox happening.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I guess you can... You can like force a deal to look like that if we are talking Vaughn, right? Like you can you can discuss other pieces you can add on the A's side to even things out and get one of those like more floor type guys that they like, or a post a post prospect type guy that they like, or something like that. Uh, because as we have it, Vaughn at thirty five point three for Montas straight up is is pretty close, thirty five three to thirty seven eight. And so maybe you're adding in a Lu Trevino or something like that mm-hmm. to the A's side of it. And you can get those extra two prospects that the A's like in that, in that you know, two to three million range. Um, so maybe you can squint and make that work. But there's no way to, you're, you're right, there's no way to make this work with Vaughn. Okay, next one on the list, Atlanta Braves, going back to the well there. And we, we just saw that these two teams made a near value perfect deal for that, for that Olsen trade that you just mentioned. Um, so so there's no reason to expect like you might if we're talking (laughs) montas to the padres or anything there's no reason to expect that they wouldn't be able to line up value wise again right you know we we talk before we talk often about how our model is just trying to emulate models that already exist that teams already use um and and it seems like it does that fairly well at least for you know for the a's and braves (laughs) in that case And, and the braves in general have have tended to make more a value equal moves so we, we shouldn't expect anything way off base here just want right. to preface with that right uh however uh the braves must be concerned about their lack of starting rotation another starter would give them a lift and position them as even a stronger favorite than they are now the braves and a's made the blockbuster deal that sent Olson to atlanta for four of the team's better prospect but the prospect tank is far from empty and if they're willing to trade more the best time would be right now okay i mean I don't entirely disagree with that. The Braves aren't at the top of my list of fits for Montas, but any team could use Montas really. Uh, And then his final line here has the deal itself. The A's would probably take a package of Southpaw Kyle Muller and a shortstop prospect like Vaughn Grissom. So the one hand of it is the A's already took the four guys they liked, you know, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. like obviously there could be more players in the system that they liked. They couldn't get, absolutely everybody that they liked from the Braves but theoretically they already got four of their favorite Braves prospects so it makes it a little bit harder to go back to the well with another high value Mm -hmm. player Mm -hmm. now that you don't have a Langoliers to headline it because you know just just (laughs) spoiling it a little bit uh yeah this one's not accepted either um but if you're talking like a guy that should be a headliner like I guess the one that's left is Drew Harris here Michael outfielder. Harris. But Michael Harris, excuse me. <clears throat> I, I I did, after after clowning on Bowden for getting, <laughs> getting Brandon Marsh's name He's wrong.
1: rubbing off on you. <laughs> oh,
0: apparently. You know, I, I know what happened here. I mixed up Drew Waters and Michael uh-huh. Harris. <laughs>
2: uh-huh.
0: uh, but Michael Harris, outfield prospect, uh, he's their top prospect remaining, and we have him at 29.6. And so you figure either the A's aren't as high on him to make him a headliner, and that's maybe why he wasn't in the Olsen deal, or maybe the Braves – aren't moving him they'd rather hang on to him and they wouldn't move Mm -hmm. him for montas so Mm -hmm. it makes a repeat deal for another high value player kind of difficult so so the preface that being said uh the the two guys here muller at 13.2 and grissom at 6.6 that's 19.8 we're still like 20 million shy again
1: yeah about Um, halfway there
0: yeah and so i again i could see those two guys being guys the a's are interested in especially muller he, he fits their mold a little bit. Um, but I mean, we're, we're in a similar spot where we just don't have a traditional headliner unless it's Harris. And if it is Harris, you can't add both of those guys as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but unless it's Harris, you're looking at Drew Waters and his stock has fallen pretty considerably as of late. And I don't mm-hmm. know if that's a guy that want as a headliner. I don't know if he's good enough to be the headliner. We have him at 14.7. And so that's not even getting you halfway to Montas's 37.8. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if I see a fit here for Montas, no. at least as of, as of now, uh, the, yeah. like you said, his value will come down a bit as we get closer to the deadline. So maybe we see something there. Um, but right now I don't see a good fit for them. And, and especially this trade doesn't get anywhere close.
1: No, I have nothing to add.
0: Yeah. yeah I okay. think that is what it is. Yeah. All right. We have three more here. Next up, New York Yankees. Um <sighs> Jim Bowden went back to the Miguel Andujar. Oh, don't do it, Jim. I thought we had gotten past (laughs) this, you know, when when Frazier left the team and everyone was making the jokes universally throughout baseball, throughout Twitter. Everyone was making the, oh, no, we can't trade Frazier with Andujar for Luis Castillo now. Like, (laughs) I thought we were all on board with this, but we're not oh gosh the package he proposes so the yankees are unlikely to land him i think i'd I'd somewhat agree with that you know we we talked before about how they didn't get olsen and that seems to be because the a's didn't like their prospects and so montas is a little bit less valuable than olsen but in that same territory you're talking the same guys we you're not you're probably not going to see a fit now if you already didn't like any of their guys it's kind of the the opposite well it's a similar problem to the, the Braves issue we just talked about, but kind of getting there a different way. Um, it doesn't seem likely that they'll match up on on Montas with the Yankees' current prospects, at least the ones that they've shown willingness to move. So I so said the Yankees are unlikely to land him as they're not interested in trading any of their top prospects in this type of deal. But it's worth seeing. I mean, I guess I can't quibble with this. It is worth seeing if this will work. <laughs> It's worth seeing if a package of Major League-ready players that have lesser value than Montas could get it done, like Clark Schmidt and infielder-outfielder Miguel Andujar, with a solid pitching prospect like Brock (laughs) (laughs) Selvage. I'd say the Yankees are a long shot here, but never count GM Brian Cashman out of any trade. Um, Uh, Long shot is correct. (laughs) Um... And yeah, I guess it might be worth seeing if you can do that in the, in the same sense that, you know, it might be worth seeing if the A's can trade Billy McKinney for Mike Trout
2: <laughs> on the off
0: chance that 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 the other team just just is drunk and, and yep. you know, accidentally, you know, fat thumbs clicks the yes button instead of no and, and you get the <laughs> deal done. Uh, but beyond that, it's no, this isn't worth looking too heavily into because it's nowhere close. This is this is the worst of the bunch.
1: Oh my God! By,
0: by a little bit, you know, we're we're gonna get to one that's that's in the same territory. <laughs>
1: no, um,
0: I mean, okay, so uh, it's, I don't know if you want to break it break it apart,
1: um, but uh, Clark Spit has been injured and he's now being used as a reliever, and his value is way down into the low signal digits. I don't know if you have that up? Um, Brock Salvage is a long shot and probably a reliever as well. He's at two in the twos. And Andohar is at zero because his last time that he hit was 2018. And Yankee fans who still think he has values say, hey, look, 2018. Yeah, that was four years ago. And what has he done since then? Minus one war, minus 0.4 war, minus 0.1 war. And, oh, by the way, he's in his last option year, and he's now 27, and he has no defensive values, DH only, and you think that's still valuable? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, no.
0: <laughs> to Yankees fans' credit, I think the vast majority of them have, have turned the page on that one. Yeah. I, I think there's only a few holdovers, and apparently Bowden's one of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's Andahar at zero, Schmidt at two, <laughs> Selvage at 2.4, 4.4 <laughs> total. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's not going to get there. Mm-hmm. All right. Two more Dodgers. Dodgers don't have the same starting pitching depth they've had the last few years. Uh blah 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 adding a, adding another strong starter like Montas would bolster their championship caliber roster. All right? And it's also reacquiring Montas and you know maybe there's some interest there. Um conversely, there could be like ah uh, we we missed on him we don't want to be giving up significant things to get him back you know that kind of thing but i I think the dodgers are smarter than that i don't think they would let anything emotional like that get in the way of reacquiring a good arm if the deal made sense for them the dodgers won't offer any of their top prospects like the 100 mile per hour throwing bobby miller top catching prospect diego cartaya infielder michael bush or even outfielder andy pages 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 i I don't think i'm ever going to know how to pronounce his name (laughs) um okay uh, once again, it's this situation of sure, if you if if they don't want to move those guys, that's kind of their prerogative. And Cartaya, yeah, he's too valuable. And like I said before, the A's are pretty set at catcher. Miller, he's at 26.4. Maybe that's higher than you'd like to go if you're the Dodgers. Okay. But then Bush, 21.3, pages 18.6 or 18.7. That's what you're looking at as as a realistic headliner for this type of deal you know it's it's more than half of montas's value it 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 makes sense and either of those guys could make some sense to the a's and could be seen as superfluous to the dodgers so i mean if if you're really taking all four of those guys off the table, a deal gets really tough, and the one that he proposes doesn't get there. He said they might be willing to offer two pitching prospects from the group of landon knack andre andre Jackson maddox bruns carlos duran or gavin stone it would be a quantity over quality type deal that might make some sense for oakland it wouldn't make sense from oakland they they, they don't need quantity over quality for one of their top remaining trade chips that's that's not how it's gonna work they're not gonna do that the this deal here it's bruns so, at four point well, so uh, real quick Well, if what, we what, oh go ahead, go ahead.
1: no <laughs> Wait, I just want to make sure I understand his point. Quantity over quality, but you're only offering two of those guys? <laughs> two is quantity?
0: <laughs> oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a Yeah, that's a that's a question I have as well. <laughs>
1: oh my but, god, there's another sort of copy editing issue there. What the heck?
0: Yeah, I I don't know. Even <laughs> if it's all five guys, it's it runs four point one, <laughs> Duran one point one, Jackson five point four, Knack four point one, Stone two point two. Total of sixteen point nine. Again, we're off by twenty million here. Even, that's for all
1: five of them,
2: but he
0: yeah, said that's two for an of actual them. <laughs> quantity over quality type deal. Quantity over quality is in this case would be would be the the White Sox deal. You know, the White Sox deal without Vaughn. That would be quantity over quality. Where yeah, let's take five interesting prospects, like five forty-five future value prospects. Mm-hmm. Instead of the one big headliner, that's quantity over quality.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Not here, take you can pick two members of our double A rotation and, <laughs> and but not this guy and this guy, you, you can pick two of those other guys, and, and that'll be it.
1: <laughs> no, no, Jim, that's not how this
0: works. Oh. all right, are you ready for the last one? All right, all right, it's it's not the worst, but it's close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Blue Jays. And again, I could see them doing it. They were obviously aggressive getting Jose Barrios and, you know, Hyunjin Ryu had an MRI and hasn't been himself this year. And uh, they aren't, again, they're not at the top of my list of guys who are going to give, of teams who are going to give a significant uh, group of prospects for an arm. And again, they have the same Matt Olson issue with the Braves where they just traded for Matt Chapman. So you figure the A's kind of already got the guys they liked. Uh, but okay, maybe, maybe they can do something here. Uh, but what he says is, the Jays, like the Dodgers, could offer a legitimate tandem of pitching prospects. Perhaps southpaw Ricky Tiedemann and right-hander Irv Carter. Now is the time for the Jays' front office to shine. And yeah, if they pulled off this deal, they would be shining. It's it's Tiedemann at 3.2, Carter at 1.9, 5.1 total. It's, it's almost as bad as the Yankees' deal. Not quite. And, and I will acknowledge Tiedemann has a little bit of helium. I, I've heard his name mm-hmm. as a guy that a lot of prospect evaluators like. But that's not gonna that's not gonna help you bridge a thirty two million dollar value difference here. No, and even if they don't, you do have a lot of helium. It's
1: usually saying, okay, well, if all things go right over the next couple of years, it's typically for a younger prospect, it's you know A or high A level or something like that, who seems to have you know some promise. But there's so much risk with pitching prospects. You know, you can't really take that to the bank. You know, once they get you know up to level, okay, they're Levels, you know, numbers gonna go higher a little bit, okay, because they have a higher probability of making it at that point. And at each point, the higher they get, you'll see in our model that's typically how it works too. If you think about, like, uh, Shane Baz, who had, you know, was in the teens and then 20s and 30s. But now he's in, like, 60s or so, even though he's injured. So there, there's, you know, each each level you get up to it increases your value because it increases the po- probability of success at the major league level. So the lower level guys, even though they may have some promise, you know, there's still a lot of risk there. So you can't really bank two years of a high-quality proven veteran like uh, Amontaz
0: for, like, you know, Two lottery tickets, basically. That's just not going to get it done. Yeah. Do you have any closing thoughts on this Bowden I event mean, that we have once again embarked no, on No, I mean you know <laughs> we,
1: we did a whole Bowden piece and you know and but he doesn't seem to care or have listened to it. Now, I by the way, I you know some of you who who may have noticed that um, in a recent podcast, Ken Rosenthal talked about us and thank you, Ken. That was really nice. Um, but I don't know if Jim has heard about it or, or site from Ken and maybe they can, maybe, maybe those two should talk. I don't know. Uh, but Ken was very generous and, and said uh, a lot of nice things about us. So, so that's great. But it seems like Bowden has not gotten the message. So he might want to check us out.
0: I think it would help him a lot unless, you know, I, I hate to be, I, I, we, we both have worked in media, you and I, and yes. I hate to be that guy of, it's all for the clicks. But um,
1: yes. at, at
0: a point here, it starts to feel like it, you know. Like...
1: I think it's more about his ego, though. Like, I'm a former yeah. GM. I know what I'm talking about. And he's, like, still thinking and, it was 20 years and ago. And what you
0: know? editor is going to be able to check him on that, right?
1: Yeah, which is which also explains that, oh, he was a first-round draft pick five years ago. And he's, he's oh, you know, that's, that's like a GM from 20 years ago thinking, you know. So I, I think it's mostly
0: that. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that one. Okay, that was an adventure as always. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: Let's head into our last couple topics for the episode. Uh, first, we wanted to talk about some of the standout players um, on on both ends of the spectrum here. Who like like, J- uh, like John mentioned? God, I, I I don't know why I'm having such problems with Jim and John today. But <laughs> well, let's see, Drew and Mike. And, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Maybe my head's just I don't know. <laughs> Um, But uh, as you mentioned, we have started some updates here, uh, just here and there, um, and there are some standout players. We aren't a full month into the season since our, our April started a little bit later than usual, but uh, decent timing for this. We're recording on May 1st. Um, you'll probably be hearing this either late on May 1st or on May 2nd. Uh, but this is, we, we get to look at the month of April for everyone and kind of see some of the takeaways here. So I'm going to run down the list of uh, here. Is that, is that how we want to do this? I, I can run down the war list kind of <laughs> for, for hitters and you can stop me when you see someone uh, that you, that you want to talk about. Does does that sound like a good format? Uh, sure, that's fine. Cool. All right, number one, Manny Machado has been worth two wins. Good for him. Nolan yep. Arnauto, 1.8. Also just excellent. Jose Ramirez, 1.7. Incredible. Mike Trout, 1.6. Makes me very, very happy. Mike Trout is back, everybody. Yes. Just, just stay healthy. As um, you can expect. Yeah. Uh, fifth place, Eric Hosmer, 1.4. What? Do you what? want what? to stop me? Do you ding, want ding, to stop Ding, ding, ding. Hello? <laughs> what? Who? <laughs> what the? <laughs> yeah. So this is one that uh, I don't anticipate us and the model entirely overreacting to right out the gate. You know, we're not going to say he's a positive surplus value player and, oh, my goodness, the Mets missed out on that trade they could have made. No. Uh, but
1: it's only been a second. will say I didn't see people. this coming. No. I don't know what got into him. And maybe it's Bob Melvin. And, you know, we uh, I love me some Bob Melvin. He's a great manager and, you know, runs a great clubhouse. And maybe he just said, hey, Eric, you're my guy. Go for it. And maybe he took it to heart. I don't know. Or it's probably just a hot and cold stretch. Uh, and he's on a hot stretch right now because he tends to run that way um but um yeah so josh i took the liberty of plugging in the updates just for fun and uh, it did move his needle a little bit so he's no longer in the nine minus 50s he's now in the high minus 30s so um because these numbers are kind of ridiculous he's got a 207 wrc plus obviously it's a month into the season that's going to normalize down to the low
0: 100s or whatever he ends up at
1: um but it's just kind of
0: freaky to see that I think um something else I want to I want to point out while we're doing this is uh that I, I mentioned it at the start of the episode the ball is dead again. <laughs> mm, yeah. We have to you have to take every batting line with a grain of salt. So uh Eric Cosmer, he's hitting 389 457 597. I'm just at first glance like that being a 207 wrc plus isn't like ring it's not setting off any alarms for me of like what that's weird. But if we get to the next guy on this list, Wander Franco. He's hitting 313, 333, 578, and it's giving him a 173 WRC plus. Right, and, like and that's, that's great, that's,
1: but it's yeah. not a 173. Yeah.
0: Not in a typical year. That doesn't gel for me. That's like in the 140, mm-hmm. 150 range, right? Yeah. Especially you know park adjusting the trop is hard to hit in et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, None of that. Not obviously, not a dig at all at Wander Franco. It, it's it's about the offensive environment and the fact that he's hitting that well. And this guy, it's silly. He's he's got a 10.3 percent strikeout rate as young as he is mm-hmm. in his in his first full season. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that that batting line translates to 73 percent better than the big league average is is it it tells you what the big league average is looking like right now and what the offensive yeah. environment is. Yeah, yeah. All right, continuing down the list, like I said. Wander 1.4, JP Crawford 1.2. Who? What? <laughs> we, we did talk about him a little bit previously no. we were discussing the extension. uh But he's he's on fire right now. He's walking more than he strikes out. He's got three home runs. He he does have a 375 BABIP.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: and, and he has a 209 WRC plus.
1: Yeah, and he's a guy that you know we we've. we've talked about as being undervalued so when he did get the extension we said okay he actually deserves that and not only, you know maybe it's because he's stuck up in the corner over there in seattle maybe he's just you know because he's a glove first guy hasn't really been a like a soup he hasn't put up a great offensive year maybe he's like wow i'm so happy here i'm just gonna play around and have fun and look i've got offense now um you know i i don't know i think it's gonna I think we're talking about mean reversion at some point soon because he's never done this. So I don't think it's going to be sustainable, but it's fun to see.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think it could at least speak to a higher baseline going forward. Like obviously not this, Mm. but he has, he has clearly been progressing in his career to becoming closer and closer to a league average bat. And so now maybe he's just a little bit above that, like not, not a 209 WRC plus he settles down into one Oh five maybe.
1: Yeah, and, and to be fair, you know, he's 27, which is typically the peak year. So oftentimes you see a guy kind of creeping up like that when he's 23, 24, And then 27 is the big year. So it follows that pattern
0: to a T. Yeah. Okay, continuing. Tommy Edmond, he's just a, a Cardinals devil magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 2. And that's uh, going to
1: regress a bit, but yeah. good for him.
0: Yeah. Jazz Chisholm, he's got a... Bit of an inflated BABIP, too, and, you know, there's been some controversy over whether he plays against lefties and such, but he's a very talented player, very fun to watch.
1: But uh, the 29.7%
0: K yeah. rate is a little bit of a red flag. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, Aaron Judge, we talked about <laughs> right, him. He's excellent, yeah. and maybe he's proving that he was correct to not accept that extension. Far mm-hmm. too early to tell. Yeah. Uh Francisco Lindor, looks like he's back. Love to yeah. see it. George Springer, just stay healthy, George. Doing CJ Crone. He's continuing okay. to hit. He's Colorado, though, right? You yeah. know, he's he's perfect for Colorado. Perfect. Yeah, and I, I think that was one of those moves that they made that I think was very smart and I could absolutely get behind, was, was mm-hmm. bringing him back on a modest deal. That's mm-hmm. the kind of thing that they should be doing. We, we don't need to go back down that path again, though. Yep. Um. So what do you think of, uh, at 14 here, Anthony Rizzo and his – uh? 273, 391, 675 line, nine home runs, a 218 Babbitt because of all of those home runs.
1: Is it, It's a, it could it be the short porch in right field in Yankee Stadium? Could it be? I think there's some aspect to that. I know it's park adjusted, but uh, I think there's a little bit of, hey, look, I can hit over this short fence, <laughs> you know, and I'm a lefty in a perfectly friend, lefty friendly park. I think there's some of that.
0: I absolutely agree. All right, from here, let's just kind of fly through some of these. I mm-hmm. just want to go through the top 30. There's going to be a couple other names that stand out. But Ty France, he's a he's a good hitter. Still one ninety Yeah, he's not a 191 WRC plus hitter, but he's a good one. And that was a really mm-hmm. good pickup by the Mariners taking advantage mm-hmm. of a Padres roster crunch. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Pena looks like a guy. Um, he he yeah. has the least impressive offensive line of this group to this point but his defense has just been superlative and even the offense it's a 128 wrc plus even if the slash line doesn't quite look great but he's very clearly outperforming correa at this point so his power number is what strikes out he's
1: you know got a low batting average 222 305 on base percentage is not great but you know for a shortstop that's that you know slugging percentage is interesting yeah for 458 like if he can keep that up you know, that's that's a goldmine uh, for a shortstop. And a rookie is, you know, he right now he's the rookie of the year favorite. I don't, we're only in a month in the season, but there's several other high-profile rookies who had, you know, higher expectations than he did. And, you know, he's filling Carlos Correa's shoes, which is no easy feat. And he seems to be
0: doing very well at it. So good for him. The, the power with just the defensive floor that he has is, is such a good defender there. And it, as of right now, it's like it's like Correa never left. I, I still think, you know, Cray is already starting to heat up and Payne is gonna have some rookie struggles and so Yeah, sure. But but Houston clearly knew they had a good one and, and that might have encouraged them to, mm-hmm. to to be more okay moving on. All right, next, Jeff McNeil. He's off to a fantastic start. Not a lot of power. Um so so maybe it comes down a little bit, but it you know, some some of it looks sustainable. he's, he's got his walk and strikeout rates kind of back in line with, with how they yeah. usually are. That's what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Josh Bell. Interesting. <laughs> Xander yeah, but Bog- he
1: runs hot and cold, you know. So I yeah. think there's some regression coming there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Xander Bogarts has a 475 BABIP. Yeah. We'll see about that one.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Jurickson Profar has a fun line: <laughs>
2: 186,
0: 318, 457, a 190, uh, 129 WRC plus, a 157 BABIP, five home runs, uh, some some defensive value from some excellent plays in left field. And he's that's got fine. a 15.3% walk rate against a 17.6% mm-hmm. K rate. So that's like highly
1: unusual, I think. Yeah. I and mean, um, He's always had a good eye. I thought he, yeah. you know, he's undervalued for that respect. But he, he's good at bats. So, you know, when he was with the A's, I watched him quite a bit. And
0: he, he really did. So I think there's something there. I agree. Uh, Joey Wendell always seems to fly under the radar a little bit. Austin Riley continues to be excellent. Brandon Nimmo's off to a good start to the year doing Brandon Nimmo things, 387 on base. Mm-hmm. That'll play. Yeah. Alex mm-hmm. Bregman. Uh, again, it's another case where the triple slash doesn't look the prettiest, but it ends up being a 141 WRC plus, so maybe mm-hmm. he's back. Mm-hmm. Ian Happ looks great. Sean Murphy has been excellent defensively and shown all that power. It's it's a bit of a weird profile right now. The, the strikeouts and walks are pretty ugly. Yay.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh but he's got power and defense as a catcher, and I believe he's the top ranked catcher on this list. He I don't is. Any other ones? Yeah. He
1: is. I checked.
0: Yeah. yeah. So
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, I know people who were, you know, were questioning our trade value of Sean Murphy in the low sixties were like, "No way, anyone would pay for that." um but part of that is the expectation that he would start to deliver you know because he's you know as he sort of settles into his role that's exactly what's happening and the power is starting to come across and he's like batting cleanup typically every night now even some even dh'ing sometimes so you've got an excellent defender and a power hitter and that'll always play at
0: catcher yeah absolutely all right then cabrian hayes he's an excellent hitter excellent glove power has not shown up yet for him but i i think it will uh, Freddie Freeman is being Freddie Freeman in L.A. Mm-hmm. Max Kepler seems like he's bouncing back a little bit. Yeah, right. To see. But he's doing
1: his for him. typical, like, 250-ish thing, yeah. but he's got power as well. And that's mm-hmm. typically what lights up the, the scoreboard for him.
0: Mm-hmm. And then Willie Adamas is continuing to be an above-average hitter for the Brewers. Yeah, okay. All right, so those are our top 30 by war uh, of qualified hitters, I should mention. And we should mention it's at four. It's fangraphs. Yes, right? yes, a fangraphs war. Uh, let's take a look at the bottom. We don't have to go through the bottom 30 specifically, but there's yeah. going to be some names down here, and the first one makes me sad, and it's Joey Votto. Oh, okay, Negative so... 0. 0.9. He's hitting 129, a 291 OBP, and a 143 slug.
1: Okay, so and know Reds fans were so happy that he bounced back last year, and those of us who are in the business of, like, estimating trade value based on aging curves and such will say yeah but he's in his late 30s and he's progressing if you look at the overall picture and they're like no no he's bounced back he's got much more value than that well i'm sorry but this is another sort of you know uh, nail in the coffin he's probably too strong but boy he's declining
0: i will say that the last couple years he changed his offensive profile pretty dramatically yeah. From less of the contact and walks guy, and like still gets his walks and still was making decent contact for a power hitter, but he switched to a much more power-oriented approach, and yeah. that type of approach has a tendency to be more volatile, so this could just be some of that, um, but when you're getting into his age, it, it's never... A good sign. Yeah, minutes.
1: I mean, what what happens is you get slower, and so your bat speed gets slower. You obviously your spin speed, you know, it doesn't not that he needs that, but but mostly it's going to show up in little things like bat speed. That means he's going to catch up to velocity. It means pitchers are going to just throw him velocity, knowing that he can't quite catch up to it anymore, and that's going to be a death knell for him.
0: Yeah, I, I hope it's not. I love him, but mm-hmm. I'm scared. Next, Framil Reyes is striking out forty five point five percent of the time. That's oh probably hello. not good.
1: No, but, you know, it's not unusual for him, but that's a little too... I mean, obviously, small sample size here. I don't know if he plays
0: every day, but boy, eek. Yeah. Uh, Nelson Cruz is third here, which also makes me profoundly sad. Um, His his Watson strikeouts look like they're on the right track. I'm going to look up his baseball savant page and see if he's hitting the ball hard.
1: Meanwhile, (laughs) while you do that, I mean, after he was traded to the Rays last year, he really did nothing, which made me think that, okay, Age is finally catching up with Nelly Cruz. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he didn't get signed to a contender. He's with kind of the Nationals who are sort of rebuilding, and he's not, you know, the Age is creeping up again. And so it's another sort of point towards that. I mean, he's a, he is over 40, so come on.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, at the time, you could make the excuse of the trop. You know, a lot of guys have had trouble hitting there. We, we were just talking about Willie Adams; Like, he yeah, he couldn't see the ball at the drop and, and maybe that's not an easy environment to get treated to halfway through the season. Uh, but once we have this, yeah, his average exit velo is 49th percentile, 59%, mm-hmm. uh, 59th percentile hard hit rate. So it seems like he is maybe underperforming a little bit, but... but- he, look, he has
1: expected. one job. He's a DH. Yeah. He's a one job, and if, he's, if those are his yeah. numbers, no. <laughs>
0: his, his woba is two twenty five. ex woba three forty one. Well, that's so not not yeah. definitely not bad. Definitely above average, and and the yeah. expected stats are still, I believe, calibrated to twenty twenty one right now. They mm-hmm. haven't really reworked for the new offensive environment mm-hmm. yet. So, right. grain of salt there. Even more of a grain of salt than usual there.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, but even that three forty one number is a step back <clears throat> for him. So, yeah, right, concerning. Okay, but the next one I think is even more concerning. Yeah, Cattell Marte, and and he's had a couple good games recently, and I don't want to put too much stock into those, but you know, there's there's some recency, and you know, he's got the 183 BABIP and whatever, but we haven't seen a stretch this poor from him as as far as I know, have we? Like like since he broke out? Mm, I don't think so. Very
1: surprising.
0: He he's got a 36 WRC plus, and it's just yeah. There isn't much power. there. The, the discipline isn't what it usually is. Uh, I mean, it,
1: has he been playing mostly second base, or if not all second yeah. base? Yeah. So there's less defensive value in that, which mm. contributes a little bit to the negative war.
0: Yeah, he's but played exclusively the, second base.
1: Yeah, so that's not going to help, but uh, but yeah, the 146 betting average, 211 on base percentage. Oh my god.
0: Sorry, sorry. And at, at second base, he's made a handful of errors. He hasn't been mm. great there. Obviously, errors aren't the only indicator of defensive value, but you know it's probably not a good sign when you know Fangraphs defensive uh like their defensive category here it's not quite defensive war it's it's a bit bit tough to explain
2: okay. uh, but
0: their their positional adjustment defensive category here it's not a great sign when uh just looking at these other guys at the bottom of the list here, Fran Reyes is at negative 1.9. Nelson Cruz, who gets the DH penalty, is at negative 2.4. And Ketel Marte mm-hmm. is at negative 1.8. He's, like, mm-hmm. in the same territory as those guys who just have bricks for gloves. Mm-hmm. That's not a good sign. And, obviously, early season defensive metrics fluctuate wildly early on. But, yeesh. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yoshi Tsutsuko, um, I'd say... I wouldn't be overly concerned about him. Not that I think he's excellent anyway, but he's a guy who doesn't come with any defensive value. And he's that, you know, three true outcomes type slugger where he's going to have some volatility. He's going to run into a few balls, I think, and, and get that line back up to where it normally would be for him.
1: Yeah, but he's never really done it. It's, I feel like there's some wishful thinking here. He's not um, excellent. No.
0: But he, I th- I think he's maybe a, a cromulent platoon slugger. And you know, you look at his 90 WRC plus last year. Over the yeah, uh, he's got a 190 slugging
1: this year. So he so he hasn't done it yet, but he's playing in Pittsburgh. So okay, cold weather, fine.
0: Maybe give him another shot. He did have a 134 WRC plus since joining Pittsburgh last year. So that was that was had some people thinking on a breakout, but he is 30. We'll see. Yeah. Whit Merrifield has a WRC plus of seven.
1: (laughs) Oh God. <laughs> oh, Whit Merrifield, what have you done? You've gotten he's lucky older he has and slower. Value. Yeah. Uh
0: continuing, Bobby mm-hmm. Dalbeck has actually reined in his strikeouts a little bit. They're only at thirty point seven percent, but uh, he's just not yeah. doing anything else and yeah. no defensive value there. And the Red Sox fans I'm seeing are just like, Okay, we're done with Bobby Dalbeck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Please trade oh, him. Yeah. <laughs> uh Heimer Candelario, slow start. Uh, I'm not super concerned there. I mean, None of these yeah. guys, you'd ever want to be on this list, but... No, also... I mean, yeah, some of these will normalize, but some of these are a little yeah. bit like, hmm. <laughs> some of these are red flags, you know. Yeah. Darren Ruff, he's older, and yeah. he's he's striking out, not a not a absurd amount like anybody like Dalbeck or Reyes, but he's striking out a fair bit and not getting to the power, and at some point you figure he's going to... eight Father Time's going to get him, like we were saying with Cruz and Votto. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Jesse Winker is walking more than he strikes out and just not hitting for any power. Um, All right, I, I think that's going that to normalize. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I'm with you. Now he is playing the field most days, and the defensive value is going to drag him down from a from a war and trade value standpoint, as we mm-hmm. kind of discussed. Mm-hmm. He's either in the field being a brick or DHing and getting the negative positional adjustment there. Um, but as a hitter, I, I think he's a pure hitter, and this will this will normalize. Yeah. Miguel Cabrera, yeah. Is he forty? Congrats yet? on, uh, <laughs> congrats on three thousand. Yeah. Uh, he is thirty-nine. Okay. in days. All right. Uh, and then just just breezing through the rest of this list now. Uh, Randy Rosaranya, just a slow start, I think. You know, the discipline isn't great, but. Yeah, but a guy, there's yeah.
1: a little bit of concern now among Rays fans that mm-hmm. I'm saying, like, okay, he's got a 3.7% mm-hmm. walk rate. He's, yeah, he's a free swinger, but, I mean, he hasn't really quite connected as mm-hmm. much as you would hope
0: yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler O'Neal, he he's another, like, volatile profile type guy. His striking mm-hmm. rate's actually way down. I wonder if he's not swinging as hard. And and maybe that's resulting in softer contact and a worse batting line despite taking the strikeouts down. Or maybe it's just bad luck. I don't know. Uh, want we'll yeah. to see on that. Frank Schwindel, there were already questions of whether he could continue his insane Cubs tenure mm-hmm. in- into this year, and, and I, I don't think he does.
1: <laughs> no, I think there's some mean rever He's already 30. He's kind of a quad A guy,
0: and, and yeah. maybe the starting to turn in, back, to, back into a pumpkin. Yeah. Marcus Simeon, I I wouldn't be thrilled if I were a Rangers fan.
1: <laughs> mm, that one concerns me a little
0: bit. Yeah. yeah. Jorge Soler, this is just who he is. Yeah, I'm, that's fine. He's gonna be hot and cold, whatever. Yeah. Kyle Farmer, uh, he's yeah. just not very good.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, sorry, Rays fans who think he was really valuable. I'm sorry. A little. Yeah. No. That chicken's <laughs> come home to roost. There. Yeah. There's not much there.
0: Yeah. Dylan Carlson. I, yeah, I think just a slow start. slow start let's see what let's give him some time yeah I, i'm still not entirely sold on him being a With an you. all-around threat in the long term but he's a valuable player he's he's got a good eye i think that walk rate will come up for sure i am
1: starting to wonder if he was overvalued as a prospect
0: because yeah. he looks more like a like a regular two war guy but yeah. not a, like a superstar a, a two to three win guy who maybe chips yeah. in everywhere but doesn't isn't great at anything yeah yeah Joey Gallo, I, I'd put him pretty. I mean, it's it's a bit concerning because he wasn't good in his Yankees, his second half with the Yankees last year, and he's a guy you figure would be excellent in that ballpark, and he's starting to heat up a little bit as of late. Um, so I don't know. I'm not I'm not entirely confident. Just saying it's, it's just a cold streak, but yeah, this is this is who he, he is. He totally runs hot and cold. Yeah. And then Ramon Urias, yeah, not really, too nah. too many thoughts there. Justin Turner, he's getting old. I'd be a little concerned. Yeah, he may be close to done. Brian Reynolds, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm keeping yeah. an eye on that,
2: I think.
1: Slow start. You know, he did have that weird year, what was it, 2020, when he was not that yeah. great. Yeah. So, like, hmm, I'm not quite sure what to make of that. Maybe it's just a slow starter, because yeah. cold
0: weather, Pittsburgh,
1: you know. Uh. That's yeah. so what
0: I'm going to, I'm giving better than doubt right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Carlos Santana, this one makes me sad. Because there were all he's these old. reports about, yeah, but he was in such good, sh- like he was literally in the best shape of his life, like not an exaggeration for this one. He he did the Nelson Cruz uh, off-season workout routine of taking naps and all that, and, and yeah. he was really slim down coming into the year. And it, it's it's 69 plate appearances, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna write him off entirely now. But you're right, he's old. Yeah. Bo Bichette slow start, not worried. Typical. The discipline doesn't look great, but. That's kind of right. typical. He's yeah. hot and cold too. Yeah. Yes, Money Doll. Yeah. Grandal, <coughs> eh, I'm still not too concerned yet. Yeah. Ryan Tapia, he's just not very good. No. Yuli Gurriel, old, old. and and kind of streaky.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, Enrique okay. Hernandez. Mm, Jackie Bradley Jr. is just not good, and Colton Wong, I I think, just a cold streak. Yeah. All right, so we'll maybe touch on pitchers next time when you know they have a couple more starts under their belts. Relievers have more than 10 innings or whatever it is they have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll be keeping an eye on this stuff as always and, and making our our regular updates. Uh, but now, before we wrap up the episode, uh, we want to talk about those updates and what, what kind of the, the near future looks like. So take a look. Yeah,
1: <laughs> so we're almost at the um, one-month point of the season, which we felt like was a decent amount of of you know data to work with and so the season started unofficially on may 7th as i recall so right around uh sorry april 7th so right around may 7th with the one month point which is like one-sixth of the season so that's what the numbers will start to show you're not going to see it you know unless those are extreme cases like we just ran through there might be a few swings here and there but there's not going to be a huge difference you know we talked about montage going from like 39 to 37.8 it's probably going to be more typical of of that um, because the sample sizes are just too small yet Um, but we do want to update because some of the you know we've got some basics to update to like age and years of control and things like that are starting to change so you'll start to see those reflected in the next week or so as we um really hit the ground so um look forward to that i know people have been asking about that i know um you know, we want to make sure that we are coordinated. So Josh and I, Josh typically does the hitters. I typically do the pitchers so that hopefully in a week or so, we should have everything up and running. And, you know, you'll see some little ones coming through here and there. I've started on the relievers. I've started on a couple of pitchers who, uh, uh, rotation-wise, have had five starts right now. So because they'll you figure five starts is about one sixth of a 30 start season. So those are fair to do now. So you'll start to see it'll come in and dribs and drabs in the, in, over the next week or so. Um, but hopefully by the next end of next week, we should be done and then we'll keep doing it. Now, as you, we we've often been asked, like, should you do it more often? Um, we'll see how it goes. Um, we were typically planning on doing it monthly, but then maybe more often as we get to the trade deadline, if this is, if this um, we have some improvements on our back end that might make it faster. So if we go faster, maybe we can do it more often, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, it's it's the balance of a the two of us having the bandwidth to make mm-hmm. these updates more often, and b just how much a player's trade value can truly change in two weeks or, or even three weeks or, or anything like that. It's most of these cases, um, th- there's going to be some exceptions, but in most cases the player's values either barely change or if they do change it's by just a couple million or mm-hmm. you know we can, you can see some larger swings on the higher value players. Because, you know, as a percentage basis, and and especially if they're guys who are under multiple years of team control, if if the baseline year of 2022 changes, then it can mm-hmm. impact further years down the road. So some guys you will see larger swings, but in general, a couple weeks of data shouldn't cause too large of a change to the point where if if we've updated two weeks ago and they make a trade today, it should still be within our margin of error. So. Yeah, right okay anything else to add before we close out nope all right i think this was pretty fun and i'm looking forward to doing it again in a couple weeks but that's good that'll do it for this week thank you all so much for listening if you have any comments or questions feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues@gmail.com, or find us on twitter at baseball values also be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode we'll be back in a couple weeks to break down more news and updates so until then stay safe and enjoy the season thanks john thanks josh